All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turned it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 1,283 points, or 4.1%. The S&P 500 last week was up a little more than 101 points, or 2.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 400 points, or 3.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 7.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 5%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 3.3%. I'm trying to remember the last time we saw an outperformance of the Dow versus the NASDAQ like this. With the Dow up over 7% year-to-date, if this was the end of the quarter, that would be an annualized return of around 28%. Um, kind of like we were talking several weeks ago about the NASDAQ increasing at a rate that if we annualized it, it would be at 63% at the end of the year, and that it was ripe for a corrective move, which we'd been experiencing the last couple of weeks. Obviously had some recovery this week with the NASDAQ being up over 3%. But I guess that would be the the question maybe to discuss on this weekend show is, is the Dow setting up for a short-term corrective pullback? Well, if you're a trader, that that would be an interesting question. Uh, Since we don't, we don't fancy ourselves traders here at at Davidson Capital, but you know, longer term investors, the, the question is, is this a trend or is this just a trade? Uh, I don't. Th- I think we can all agree that the Nasdaq in 2019 and 2020 has had a tremendous performance. If you look at the two years, absolutely in, in total t- together, and uh, it wasn't. It's not surprising that the Nasdaq of late has had some. Had some. There's definitely been money leaving. Now, whether the reason that investors have been reallocating assets from the NASDAQ stocks and, you know, in particular, the big Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Apple you know, the, the big Facebook, you know, the, the big, the big, uh, tech Fang names. stocks, the, fa- the, the Fang names, the big growth 
tech names that have that have received a lot of attention that investors have made if you if you'd owned them all you know even, even through 2020 they're up they're they have very very healthy returns in the last year um it's not surprising to see some money leave those stocks it is it is interesting how the the dow you know the dow stocks in particular uh, are outperforming because it, like you said, Kyle, it has been a while to see the Nasdaq. To, pardon me, to see the Dow outperform the Nasdaq as it has. Whether the reason is valuation, whether the re, the reason is just because it's done so so well the last couple of years. The the one of the whether it's it interest rates. You know, interest rates seems to be the reason most quoted by the financial entertainment press and you know the analysts as to why the nasdaq is doing what it's doing there seems to be this relationship between higher interest rates on any given day as measured by the 10-year treasury equaling a a decline in the nasdaq interest rates up nasdaq down interest rates down or flat nasdaq up and what do we call that the coupling effect, which we have seen and talked about on this program over the last 15 plus years of doing the Money Wise program, where we've seen this coupling situations. Sometimes it's other markets, like we've seen oil coupled with the broader market years back. And we're dealing with this same situation now with a 10 year treasury coupling with the higher valuation tech names. So to me, I think it's a combination of both valuation and higher interest rates. I think it's both. Now, the question that we have been asking ourselves as managers of money is how much of a change in our portfolio composition and allocations to those stocks and exchange traded funds that are, that are invested in those stocks. Should we be making changes in our portfolio uh, in anticipation of this uh, coupling, as you described it, Kyle, continuing on for more than just a trade and the trend, you know, continues on for several months, you know, does it, does it continue into the second quarter or the third quarter? That's a big question mark. And and so we've made, we've had extensive discussions amongst the three of us on areas in the portfolio where we should be potentially reallocating some assets. We have started reallocating some assets away from the high, the high, uh, uh, the big cap, the big cap tech names. Uh, through the sale of some of some exchange traded funds we've also eliminated a couple of stocks from the portfolio completely in the week just passed and we've we've all and we've put some new positions on in non-technology uh oriented stocks we're still working on finishing up the uh the reallocation of, of these, uh, of these assets. It's not going, it's not like we're going to take 20% of the portfolio and reallocate it. We're it's right not now in for, one day, not, not in one, one day. day. And I don't think we're really targeting. We we're not in the, we're, we're not in the camp that 
we're going to be selling all of our big tech technology, big cap technology names in the next week. I don't anticipate doing that. But we are in an environment now, and I say we just have a few seconds left in this in this quarter, so I'll give a, a little preview of the next uh, next segment. We are in an environment now where interest rates, again, have taken center stage as a cue for investors to make moves in their portfolio, and we'll talk more of that when we come back from the break. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, headed into our second segment of this weekend's show, just to kind of catch up anyone just tuning in, talking about some of the adjustments that we have made to the portfolio over this past week, eliminating two stocks from the portfolio, uh, and then also in extensive discussions of just making some adjustments on the index base in our portfolio and dialing back some of our exposure into the large cap tech names as we have seen this bounce from about a 10% corrective move that the NASDAQ had through the end of the end of uh, close of business Friday two weeks ago. And we saw the NASDAQ up 3.1% this past week. So we took that opportunity to take some profits out of this position that we have going back into last year. We still have some exposure into our technology exchange traded fund and obviously own some of the big cap, big cap tech names in our individual stock portfolios, but just looking to dial back some of the risk profile. And we also completed, which we've talked about on previous MoneyWise programs, we've completed the last trade of our, what we call our dividend sleeve or the other end of our barbell. So we've completed the last trade of three step-ins into that end of our portfolio. So by doing so, we've increased our dividend income. We have lowered the risk profile on the equity side or stock side of our portfolio across the board. And now that we made this final adjustment this past Friday of dialing back some of our exposure in the bigger cap tech names and then moved those funds into the small cap arena, increasing our small cap exposure and our individual stock and bond accounts. Yeah, Joe. Well, a couple of things that we in the last segment we were talking about trade. Is this a trade or a trend? And these are a couple of things we just obviously in the last week, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package was just passed. And so that's one of the things that obviously uh, with all the money and the liquidity going back into the market, could possibly trigger inflation. But I think forward-looking, if you're looking at portfolios and allocations, a couple of things that we talked about Friday were, well, what would be the next step? What would be a bipartisan thing that Congress can get none of the president might agree on, which might further rotation to large cap value versus growth? That would be, what, infrastructure, correct? So what's going to do well with infrastructure? Gas, oil, energy, uh, industrials, 
those type of investments. So if you're looking forward and I'm not, then, and you look at your portfolio, well, how are you going to take advantage of that? And and I'm not saying the market is forecasting that, but that will be the next thing they look at. The other item that's really big on the current administration is what? Taxes. And if you've been in large cap growth for an extended period of time and you have long-term capital gains and they do pass something from a tax standpoint, your tax bill is going to go up when you try to sell off some of if, these uh, large gains that you have. If, so, if, if, if the capital gains tax, which I know is something that's being tossed around in the Biden administration, is something that they're going to be potentially looking at, because right now a long-term capital gains tax is really the lowest it's been in our lifetime. There's been other times where it's been at 15%, but a long-term capital gains tax has never been below 15%. And so this is right at its historic low from a long-term capital gains tax. And so we know that that is a discussion of potentially on the chopping block. So that's a very good point, Joe, with all of the gains that we have seen in these FANG names and these high valuation growth stocks, that there could be portfolio managers and or individual investors, almost like a preemptive strike to start trimming some positions uh, to take advantage of the lower long-term capital gains tax rate, possibly in anticipation of a higher long-term capital gains tax rate. So right. it, and, something and, to keep an eye on. And the traders will take advantage of this by shorting those stocks in anticipation of folks selling them to take their capital gain, pay the tax at a lower rate, which could exacerbate <clears throat> the selling in those stocks. Remember, stocks don't, always trade on fundamentals they don't always trade on technical sometimes they just trade on emotion we know that (laughs) (laughs) we we know that firsthand so do our so do clients and so do all of us one of the best examples right now of a stock trading on emotion is gamestop (laughs) Yes. yes Now I don't know what that emotion is. Is it is insanity an emotion? I was getting ready to say it's lunacy an emotion. Yeah, I mean we are brothers. You it is. Insanity, I, I, like, lunacy. I like lunacy. I think lunacy is even better. <laughs> yeah, I don't think lunacy is. Uh, 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 I think lunacy is. It, we could call it an emotion in this case because it is lunacy, and I'm surprised that yet yeah, still the it's what is the SC? It's a bed. The SEC has, I don't know how many times the SEC halted trading in that stock this week. Yeah, Joe. One one thing about games, and I'm only going to mention this one. GameStop is going to be like the G word, like the Fed is the F word, okay? So we need to establish that right now on the show. But if you look at GameStop, originally when Cohen came over from Chewy's, or whatever, which we've never now, owned. Now, now Cohen yeah. was the. We're talking about. Ahead, I, don't know what his, I don't know what his first name is. He was. He's a CEO that came over from another company. Yes, yeah, so and now he's on the he, board of GameStop. Founded, yeah. And so there's a fundamental reason, which was him coming over to GameStop and and looking and taking it from a a box store, so to speak, to streamlining it and having GameStop be something that could be more online. So the fundamentals originally there's a reason why people started showing some interest in it, and then you had the Reddit crowd come in. And, and but, but but what you're talking about, Joe, is late last year. Yes. Yeah. When this that, gentleman, that, who, right, who's the that, founder of Chewy, who sold it, right. and believe it or not, I believe he's famous because the billions he made off the sale of Chewy, he invested in two stocks. And if memory serves me correct, it's Apple and Wells Fargo. I believe those were the two stocks he invested all of his money in 
That sounds now, like a diversified portfolio. Oh, totally <laughs> diversified. I mean, Jim Cramer would have given him a big, a big, you know, sound effect of not something good. But he came in late this, you know, late last year. Which you're right, Joe. That was a fundamental change. But but that's that, good that, for a ten percent move. That's not true. good for the thing no, will go on at thirty or well, forty. I, I can't remember the stock. But I think it probably like doubled or something. I can't remember going back what it did, but. But but Sorry. see now, but see then we get the Reddit crowd involved, and then now he has been brought from just the board of directors to now taking over, and now as Joe said rightly to take him from the brick and mortar to more of an online subscription model, which GameStop should have done years and years ago. Okay. So so Jeff's point is it's now, now the trading on that is not fundamental or technical at not, all. Not in, not in GameStop. That that's not even a that's that's, that's not even an investment. Right. It, it is literally pure, a bet. it's pure spec. It's pure speculation. It, it's it's a bet and it's the way that I feel about it's, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a bet. That is it. That is all Bitcoin is. More buyers than sellers or more sellers than buyers. That's the only thing that drives it up and down. There's no fundamental reason you can't go to HEB and whip out a fraction of a Bitcoin to buy your groceries. And will that ever come to pass? I don't I don't know. Not until there's more regulations that come in and they get Bitcoin out of the black market and all the illegal activity that's done and paid for by Bitcoin and all these other um, cryptocurrencies. Until that takes place, I don't think it's something that any investor should even be looking at or touching with a 12-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. That's my that's my that's my take on the whole cryptocurrency because I get we get questions from clients from time to time and I'm sorry something that could be used for very nasty gross illicit activities around the world like trafficking of human beings and paying for it through bitcoin yeah. I don't want to be any part of it and I'm surprised that the hedge funds and some of these pensions that got involved in these state these state pensions that got involved in cryptocurrency have ever think to ask that question in their board meetings is what is this cryptocurrency possibly used for illegally? Well, uh, that, okay. But I mean, you, you can use dollar bills to do lots of other illicit activities too, but we're not going to stop using dollar bills to go buy something at HEB. But I do understand your point, Kyle. Well taken, but are we going to, I know we've only got about two Uh-oh. minutes left in the left. Wall Street Journal. Left. Are we gonna, are, what is I know, this? I, this is it, Friday's Wall Street Journal that I'm holding up on the video chat. I know our radio show listeners can't see it because we'll just be transitioning from Bitcoin into this new non called non fungible tokens. Here we go, baby. What in the world is an NFT? I mean, I've heard of EFTs. You know, we 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 invest in exchange trade or ETFs. Sorry, ETFs. You know, but a NFT, non fungible token. Who's going? We're going to have some it. fun. Which one of you experts in San Antonio are going to take this over on the? Effort? We're going to let Kyle. It's going to be in NFT one hundred and one. <laughs> All right, your segment. You're 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 putting it or all NTF or whatever well, it is. We'll, okay. we'll have to we'll have to save it from after the bottom of the hour break because there's yeah. a little bit more that I got to say than what we can get into the next twenty seconds. Okay, but this is definitely something that they've been talking about literally in the financial entertainment press. I think maybe going back four weeks. Well, there's going to be an ETF week. coming for NTFs. I mean, NFT. I, thought, See, I can't even get the letters right, can I? Well, well, we'll talk more about that when we come back from the bottom of the hour break. So stay tuned, and we'll get into NFTs. When we come back, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, a subject or a topic that we discussed right before we went to the bottom of the hour break is something that's been all over the financial entertainment press this past week. But actually, it seems over the last five to six weeks, they've been talking more and more about this. But what happened this past week at a Christie's auction the sale of a piece of digital art in the form of an NFT or non-fungible token, which Joe, during the commercial break, looked up what the definition of fungible means and basically means interchangeable, what fungible means. So non-interchangeable token, I guess, would be the way to explain this. But a digital piece of art was sold at a Christie's auction this past week for 69 million dollars and it was a digital picture of a bunch of other digital pictures from some artists who I've never heard of so I guess the reason why we wanted to discuss this on this weekend's money wise program well because it made the made the front page of the wall street journal I mean that that's does this does this legitimize this in some way I mean I, I I don't I don't know well, I think the reason why we wanted to talk about it is because it just seems like the entertainment, pre- financial entertainment press is just constantly looking for these new and different and alternative investments. I mean, last year during the COVID crisis and all they could talk about was SPACs, which is special acquisition companies or corporations that basically pull a bunch of money together to take companies public. Normally, when a company goes public, it goes through a massive underwriting process with investment bankers, whether it's Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs uh, or Merrill Lynch. They go through this whole entire process, go on a roadshow, drum up investor interest. They have to go through all their books and valuations, and then they go public. But with these SPACs, these SPACs basically invest in these companies, pull them into their SPAC, and then they just list the SPAC that then owns this company. Now we're going to these non-fungible tokens, which is just another alternative investment. And I don't even know if you would even call it an investment. I mean, to pay $69.3 million for a digital picture, and, and, and really you got to understand, listeners, this digital picture is owned and, and held within the blockchain. And Jeff, when we were talking about it, on Friday, you said that's right. A blockchain that's never been, corrupted. never been hacked. Okay, never they been tell, hacked. They tell us, tell us that that, it, that it's impossible to hack. It's impossible, impossible to hack, which means it's po- impossible to steal whatever value is is stored in it. And I I find that really hard to believe that it's impossible to hack. But I want to wind back for a second about these the the special purpose acquisition companies otherwise known as SPACs the one thing that I've always tried to try to put my hands around is how much money or my head around how much do I want how much money do I want to put in some sort of vehicle 
where the sponsors of the SPAC don't know what they're going to invest in, don't know when they're going to invest in it, and who knows whether you're going to get a return or not. Why would I want to invest in something like that? Well, Jeff, to add on to that, how much <laughs> vetting have they done of the companies that they're possibly looking to bring into the SPAC? At least when a company goes through the more traditional coming to market process through these investment banks, right. the amount of due diligence. Yeah, exactly. What corners are being done. cut? What corners are being? That's what would concern me as an investor. In a SPAC is like exactly what you said, Jeff. How much corners are being cut to bring these companies to market without going through the proper underwriting channels of kind of Wall Street of old? But I, I guess the point of us talking about this is that the financial entertainment press is constantly looking for the newfangled thing to talk about. Instead of getting back to plain vanilla, the blocking and tackling, stocks and bonds, not these crazy investment vehicles where people are constantly trying to get rich overnight. And here's the thing, and we'll be the first to tell you, there's no such thing as, as getting rich overnight. You know, you want to build wealth slowly and do it properly through proper risk mitigation, active asset management, proper asset allocation. You want to do all the right things. It's not get rich quick. And it seems that with the SPACs, investors are looking to get rich quick. Now with these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens that is constantly being talked about now in the financial entertainment press, again, get rich quick. I mean, they talk about a LeBron James video of a layup selling for $230,000. So, so, so real quickly, I think the purpose of us talking about this, in my opinion, is getting out in front of it. Also, before we get questions, because are we ever going to put SPACs or Bitcoin or NFTs in a portfolio that more or less is a balanced portfolio geared for somebody that eventually is going to retire and pull income from. And with these NFTs, my wife was talking about it a little bit uh, Friday, and I looked at some of their, this morning or Friday on CNBC, they had cat memes. I say, what are you going to do? You're going to go start, you know, cat commodities funds, or you're going to have your grandmother that has 500 cats and bet which one is going to make a video and try to make money off of it. I mean, that's it's, that's it's the ridiculous. craziness of this. So. I mean, I, and I can and I can appreciate alternative asset classes, but when I think about art, I think about a physical painting. I think of a physical sculpture, something that you have possession of. Now, granted. Whoever paid $69.3 million for this non-fungible token owns a digital imprint within the blockchain of this digital picture, okay? I mean, I don't know exactly how you display this in your home or at a museum. I don't know what you do, but I guess it's just kind of a warning to investors. And Joe, like you said, kind of getting out in front of it because more and more listeners of our show are probably already hearing these things and wondering what the heck are these things and is it really an investment? And in our opinion, it, it, it isn't. It, yep. it is, and it doesn't make sense to us. And if Re you can't explain it to a five-year-old and to get them to understand it, it's maybe something you should avoid. So rewinding back to the, the SPACs, this is something that's really come to its – really got a lot of attention here in the last year – and so now with all these SPACs that have been created, what does that create in the marketplace? 
it creates well well yes it it saturates the markets with these vehicles but it also saturates the market with money chasing the same deals and when you when you've had all this money chasing the same deals those deals get bid up and bid up and bid up and bid up and someone eventually says yes i will accept that deal and that spac may end up with an asset that they wildly overpaid for because there's so much money chasing and there's pressure from investors that say, Hey, look, I gave you X number of dollars and I've been waiting for six months, a year for you to go out and make some acquisitions so that I can start getting a return on my money. And so now you went out and made these acquisitions and because there's the market so saturated with all these facts, you overpaid for it. And so now I've got an investment in overvalued assets that you paid for. And then what happens to the SPAC market then? Does it Now it's not so bright and shiny, is it? Let me ask you this, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Does that sound familiar, what you just described? I think back to the late 90s and the early 2000s I, when, I, when, yes. when, two, when two or three people started a dot-com company out of their garage and all of a sudden they're tech billionaires. And all this money and, and, and people rushing to give these companies money because it had .com at the end of it. Is this just another version of the .com bubble blowing up? But obviously, the SPAC market is very focused on new companies coming to market. But I could almost see what you just described, the same end effect. Now, will that end effect affect the broader market? Good question. That's- that that's a very good question. I wish I could answer it. I'm sure our listeners would 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 appreciate if we could answer it, but we don't know. But what you just described just reminds me of the late '90s. Yeah, and when if these companies ever do come to market, then what we have to ask ourselves as investors, you know, am I going to am I going to be one? Are we going to be putting our client money into these investments? that these SPACs overpaid for that now they need to cash out of. And the only way they can cash out of them is they got to bring them to market, right? They got to bring them to market. They got to sell them to the public and IPO. We're not seeing just, we're not seeing dozens and dozens of IPOs in a week coming online and, you know, doubling in the first day, like, you know, like we saw in the late 20th century. If we start to see that, then yeah, I'm going to start to get a little bit more concerned about the market as a whole getting really overheated. But right now, I think the market itself is is maybe correcting some of the excesses in the higher PE names by reallocating some of those assets into, the, into some lower price earnings uh, names. And that's why you know, the NASDAQ is underperforming. Even though the NASDAQ, quote unquote, underperforming this year, at uh, a three percent return, if, if we ended the quarter, digit. that that's still that, that's still what uh, over twelve percent annualized. Yeah, very near where we were. We we were kind of in the fifteen percent range for the markets this year. And Dad thinks we were overly uh, optimistic about the year. But when we come back, you, for mean, the break, you mean you mean old bear breath? Old bear breath, yes. Old bear breath. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let's let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, 
or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. <laughs> so I would say for pretty much a good part of this Money Wise program, we've talking about kind of alternative investments, whether talking about the SPACs, you know, Bitcoin, which we didn't really cover much of, but I kind of said my piece of my feelings about it and cryptocurrency in Cryptocurrency general, in general, yeah. In general, and then these non-fungible tokens. And I think really when it comes down to the end of the day, and, you know, as far as us as a firm at Davidson Capital Management, being in our 32nd year of business, and the one conversation I have with prospective clients is that in investing, you don't have to get so darn fancy. Plain vanilla still works in building wealth and maintaining wealth. The execution is the key. The investment philosophy is the key. Active management is the key. There's so many things that have to be done right, but you can do it with plain vanilla, good quality stocks, good quality no-load mutual funds, good quality exchange-traded funds, high-quality bonds, Plain vanilla still works, but the execution is key. And I think, and and again, you know, I know this is very late in this weekend's program, but again, this is the reason why we hate annuities of all shapes and forms, whether it's fixed, uh, variable annuities, equity index annuities, why we hate the whole lot, because if it takes 100 pages to explain something, why would you want to be in it? Not to mention the exorbitant commissions and the fees the salesperson makes, the fact that it's not an investment, it's an insurance policy, all these other things, minus variable annuities, of course. But it's just important for our listeners to understand that you don't have to get so fancy in your portfolio to build and maintain wealth. Plain vanilla still works, but you have to be you have to be vigilant and you have to do the work. And if you don't want to do the work, you have to find a competent investment advisor, money management firm that can take care of you and your family and get you prepared for retirement and beyond. Yeah. The getting rich quick. That's right. Not a good strategy. Not a recommended strategy that we would recommend at all. I I think when Kyle's talking about portfolios and being vanilla to a certain extent, which it's believe me on a day-to-day basis, it's not vanilla with the conversations and the research that we do. There's a lot of work that's put into this, but whenever you start talking about alternative investments, especially if you're talking about planning for retirement, how much volatility do you, can you actually handle and how much do you want to bring into your, your portfolio? And that's the thing. That emotionally. You have to focus em- on. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess when I say plain vanilla, I'm saying really it's the components you know, it's not SPACs, it's not NFTs, it's not Bitcoins, it's not all these hot buzzwords that you hear in the financial entertainment press. It's about high quality stocks, high quality bonds. Yep. You know, that's what it's about. The things that don't maybe get as much attention, particularly in the last couple of years in the financial entertainment press. These new alternative asset classes, they need seasoning. <clears throat> Before seasoning. They need massa, yeah. <laughs> One of our requirements is we don't invest in anything that has doesn't have it, at least a 10-year track record. And certainly, non-fungible tokens don't have a 10-year track record. Uh, some would argue Bitcoin does have a 10-year track record, but to me it has a, has a track record of massive price swings. 
which is something that I, I'm, we're not interested in putting clients money in long term. Uh, and then this, the special purpose acquisition companies, uh, unless you're buying them through an exchange traded funds, but they're mostly not accessible to the individual. You have to be uh, a sophisticated institutional investor. Uh, and so if you buy it through an ETF exchange traded fund, well, that exchange traded fund will have 10 years of history. So yeah. it, it, it's just not, if you're going to put money in these alternative investments, it, it needs to be in, in something that has some kind of liquidity, like like in an exchange traded fund, which I don't think in these non fungible tokens are in currently. But I guarantee you, there will there be, will be, there there will will be, be an ETF for EFTs. I'm sure in the next in the next six months. And for those that want to take a you know want to put one percent of your investment yeah. net worth in it. Have fun with it, but it needs to be with your fund money. I don't think you should, it's not going to be in your four, I wouldn't recommend it in your 401k, your serious retirement money. There's something to be said for investing in American companies that have had 20, 30, 40, 100 plus years of business. You know, 100, 100 plus years of produce, of providing services, producing uh, whatever it is that they produce. That versus some of these, some of these unproven new alternative asset classes. It's just I mean, they they have a balance sheet. Yeah, there's thing called a balance sheet. I mean, I, I, I think really at the end of the day, the advice we can give is is not getting sucked into the new hot thing of the day from an investment standpoint, and just the old, you know, again the plain vanilla. As I said earlier in this segment, the plain vanilla still works, but it just has to have a proper investment management philosophy and execution and active management. It's not a buy and hold forever. It's continuously buying homework. Yeah. Now, I can tell you, we review every single position in our portfolio on a weekly basis, constantly vetting it through our screening process. And that's something that we're always doing as a professional money manager. So I know yeah. we don't have very much time left uh, in the, uh, in this segment. I wanted to, to point out Next week, we have a Fed meeting, and that Fed meeting uh, could be very important for what happens in the market, say, over the next two to four weeks. There's so much attention that's being paid to interest rates right now, and, I, and, there, and there are the, the, there's, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to what Chairman Powell says on Wednesday's uh, press conference. Are they going to? Is the Fed going to continue be can continue to be buying bonds as they have been? Is there going to be any mention from the Fed that they're seeing increasing rates of inflation that concern them? <clears throat> they'll they'll be parsing words and syllables pretty closely because the the increase in interest rates has taken center stage here this here this year to date, uh, moving the markets and if the and if the if Powell says something that could be potentially uh, construed as not market friendly from an interest rate point of view, then we may be making additional portfolio changes, moving more money away from the higher PE, uh, large cap tech growth stocks and into some other stocks. But we'll see. Stay tuned. Well, and, and we saw a few weeks ago that his words have consequences. So. Yes. Last time he spoke, the market definitely reacted. And in that situation, a few weeks back, it was a negative fashion. 
Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for listeners of Money Wise on 1200 WAI in San Antonio, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. If you'd like to catch a second hour of this weekend's Money Wise, you can go to our website, davidsoncap.com, and click on the radio show link where you can listen to this weekend's second hour plus all past Money Wise programs we have recorded. And for listeners at Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and, and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis. And this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article 
really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because again looking at a sizable amount of assets let's say you retire you've accumulated a million 1.5 million 2 million dollars that it gives them a sense of security that hey I can go from a 1000 square foot house I want to build me a new 3500 square foot house in retirement cuz I have all of these assets and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg and so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized their and have upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion... The way we view this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal. Uh, target that they 
tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with. With a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling, well, you can only withdraw 2% a year. That's $20,000. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, 10-year bonds right now, exactly. you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at 2%. Exactly. So you don't you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a 2% withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%, and some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets, and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle 
is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time, as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, where you know we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity, and I hate to even use the word annuity, but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend at Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9, 10, 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. 
the other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make. And it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you are, you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that would have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than 7% a year, you run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And and I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. It's it's like hitting an artery that you, you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them, but we're also there to counsel. And we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt-free, and they want to pay off their house. They want to pay off their cars. They want to pay off their credit cards. You know, Some of these things we sh- should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement, maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no rate you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle, uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers. And they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new Endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time. If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million dollar portfolio down to five hundred thousand dollars, 
Are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh in this new business endeavor and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing and if you can't get it Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement, wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's right. You know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's, it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, 
you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it. Because just utilizing our, our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we could discuss paying cash for it. Because, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again to right. pay for those income taxes? So, Your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4%. On twenty thousand dollars, you know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, what was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay. Pulling that money out. So you're giving up $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know, that those are those run into some really big numbers. I mean the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill, that's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff, if if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate you really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining you don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now here you go again you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off so if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight nine ten percent a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills but how do you figure out how much do i need in retirement 
Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds, or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself into taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two, typically, 
once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime there's no other assets going to the uh, estate and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation so every month that goes by that pension payment is buying less and they're also not guaranteed that's right no matter how strong the corporation is and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement, and I was talking about taking pension payments, and we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension or if you have if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation so what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is, it's, been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you were receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the 
PBGC. Yeah, regardless, you just sliced, you just sliced your regardless payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this, um, that was on page two of the... uh, Going back to the article... Uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. Um, the Roadmap for Policy Makers and Americans' View of the Retirement Crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today, today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity and unfortunately these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation and we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program cuz not enough Folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this guaranteed amount quote, of money. Quote, unquote, guaranteed. In the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age 65 or 66, you're not going to like it at age 78. Seventy nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know I, I'm not retired. Retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this but is. But that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed? Create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they 
keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. You, the, the, what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comf- a for retirement. comfortable retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And, and if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week. <laughs>